With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. The conversation continues with Dean Mackin on today's News Talk TNT Radio. And g'day, g'day. I hope you're having a terrific day. And I've got a story we're going to open within about 20 minutes' time, and it will literally make your blood boil. I mean, we talk about the brown paper bag mentality in Canberra, and not just in Canberra, but around the world when it comes to politicians. But, I mean, this one will really make your blood boil. We're talking $368 billion for the taxpayer. And there's Scott Morrison off with... Mike Pompeo, his mate over in America. And of course, you've got to wait. If you've, you've got to disclose any interest that you've got, um, that where a private company would profit from anything that happened during your, you know, your time as a minister under your portfolio. Now, the waiting period for you to do something where it is considered above board for you to go into the private sector and possibly work with people or companies who have profited from that which you advocated for or possibly even handed the keys to the kingdom over is, wait for it, is 18 months. So ScoMo, as a backbencher, waited 20 months to uh, retire, and now he's off with Mike Pompeo. These guys are jet-setting about the world. They're making all sorts of money, uh, including Mike Pompeo getting, uh, you know, revving, revving up China by going and getting the Taiwanese all worked up and really getting China upset, which makes us scared, which makes the American people scared. So let's get some nuclear subs. Let's protect ourselves. And of course, when they go over there and rev them up, Mike Pompeo got for one of his speeches, $120,000. Wow. And this rabbit hole goes so, so deep. But Robert Barwick, who is of the Australian Citizens Party, uh, he is pushing for, uh, in fact, he's calling for the anti-corruption watchdog to investigate Scott Morrison for cashing in on his AUKUS plot. And that's exactly what that is. If it feels like that's what it is, it's because it is. And wow, I've just read four pages of information and this is a tangled, tangled web. You're gonna be really angry um, after Robert Barwick tells you about this and you'll be even more angry if of course this doesn't go to some sort of uh, anti-corruption hearing. I suspect it won't. Uh, why? Because we waited 20 months. And if it's not him who did something that was illegal, it certainly uh, shows the the shortfalling or possibly the way that they've engineered the system to be. So these brown paper bags are just keep on coming and you've only got to wait about just over a year and a half to go and cash in. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I think any politician should absolutely not be able to work for any company that has ever profited by one of their decisions. But when that decision is for a country that is $1 trillion in debt, it's probably just making interest payments at this point and getting into more debt. Here we are, $368 billion on AUKUS, a bunch of secondhand submarines, many of them we won't see for more than a decade. And of course, by the time they get them, uh, you'll probably get a $100,000 drone that will eliminate the thing in five minutes anyway. So who knows what the future holds, but I certainly know what the next 20 minutes is going to hold. And that's me anxiously awaiting talking to Robert Barwick about this because I am my blood pressure has gone up, and I'm sure yours has as well, and well, it should. Uh, lots of other things to uh, talk about. The much-anticipated, um, yeah, well, pretty much 4.35%. Nobody thought 
that the uh, interest rate, the RBA was going to raise the interest rates. Uh, inflation has stabilised. It's still pretty high. It's still pretty high. What is it? About 4.1%. And don't forget, that's not just 4.1 since COVID. That's 4.1 per annum. And that just accrues. So uh, let's say, what well, we're paying about 10, 12% more for most things now than we were three or four years ago. And we have to because we had to print all that money because they had to keep everyone at home and keep us safe from the, from the cold. There was no... There was no COVID. There really wasn't. It was fluvid. They rebadged it. They renamed it. It's like when, uh, remember when Holden uh, were coming out as Toyotas? Remember they were those Toyota Commodores? Yeah, I remember those. Well, it's a bit like uh, fluvid. Yes, it was never anything other than the flu. Bugger COVID. Uh, lots of other things to talk about, but I'll let you know who's coming up. Uh, shortly, of course, I'll be talking to Gemma Cooper imminently. Uh, we've also going to be talking, besides Robert Barwick, uh, to Dr. Jessica Rose, and she's done some very uh, important investigating. She's put together some very concise information, and it will just blow you away when you read some of the numbers, especially when we put it to you in form the form of uh, increases in myocarditis and other things uh, subsequent to people being vaccinated, and the numbers. Wow, they absolutely, I thought I was going cross-eyed and seeing an extra digit. They are going to blow you away. We'll be talking to Dr. Jessica Rose about that just a little bit later as well. So I'm very much looking forward to talking to those guests, and you really don't want to miss a second of it because it is absolutely massive. And this thing that uh, Scott Morrison and his mate, his mate Mike Pompeo, by the way, he never spoke to Donald Trump. He never really spoke to Donald Trump, and if he did, all those calls should have been recorded, but he was having these uh, little conversations with his mate, and they were not recorded. So $368 billion at stake, but let's just talk to Mike Pompeo. Let's get this AUKUS thing going. And other people as well, Liz Truss, uh, Boris Johnson, all on this gravy train, all on this gravy train. I wonder how long they've got to wait before they can go get a job uh, working for one of these companies that will profit immensely. And I do mean immensely from the whole AUKUS deal. And the only people who won't profit from it is us. We're going to be a nuclear target here in Australia. And certainly these things will be outdated, rubbish technology. And uh, yeah, it's just not going to happen. Now, if you love a good documentary, then you'll love the special screenings, uninterrupted cinema features some of the latest notable documentaries from the world's best filmmakers. All you've got to do is check out TNT's website for more information. Weekends are better when you spend it with us here at today's News Talk TNT. The latest headlines waiting for you. I follow the news pretty much throughout the day. Today's News Talk Radio TNT. Gemma Cooper, now I've noticed your outfit. You're looking terrific. It's the same colour. Maybe tomorrow we should wear brown, uh, just in sympathy for all these brown paper bags that are going around. <laughs> Do you know what? I was thinking brown. I mean, yesterday we both had black. Today we've both got blue. We didn't speak to each other before we came on air. I have got something brown and it's it's quite a nice outfit. I might dig that out. But we certainly seem to be in sync. And once again, just hearing that editorial at the top of the show there, you know, inflation and interest rates <clears throat> up in your country. Nobody can afford to buy a house. Uh, p politicians are corrupt. You know, <laughs> are you living here or am I living there? Because it's exactly the same on, on both sides of the world. And every day I talk to you, I think, yep, every single Western country is in lockstep. You know, the odds of, of your country and mine and America, Canada, the odds of us all being in this, you know, completely random lockstep must be astronomical, must be trillions to one. Unless, of course, all of us tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorists are correct 
and we are already under a global governance and they don't have to declare it. All they have to do is have a bunch of their politicians infiltrating our political system. Uh, I don't even know if we should call it our political system. Seems like they've owned it for a long time. Exactly. And also I'm, I've got a, well, I'm, I'm being, I'm doing some uh, training on the side, which I've touched on before in, in this uh, forum, but you know, one of my teachers, he's really good. And he says, listen, it doesn't matter what anybody ever says to you, Jem, the acts are the facts. Look at someone's behavior. Look at what they do. Don't look at what they say. Don't look at what they try and tell you. Look at what they do. The acts are the facts. And you just outlined it there, you know, with the behavior of your, your, you know, former people in power, positions of power. The acts are the facts. So it doesn't matter how they talk themselves out of it. 18 months, 20 months, 22 months, whatever. The acts are the facts. That's it. That's the evidence prima facie in front of you. Look at how people behave. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And of course, those people uh, typically can't change their behaviour and their history. If you want to dig deep enough, we'll tell you all about them. You know, we had these people over in America, you know, Nikki Haley, some people suggesting not that long ago, she could be Donald Trump's running mate. And people like me who were, who were and have been aware of her for a long time know she is absolutely 1000% a wolf in sheep's clothing. You just got to have a look at her history. But then worse still is this Vivek Ramaswamy, Right now, this fella is a guy who is of big pharma, who bought a drug for a pittance, whose mum uh, is a doctor as well. Uh, they somehow got this the the stock price of this up. They're great salespeople, him and his mum. They pushed this thing. They got the prices up, and at the end of the day, everyone who invested in this particular drug didn't do very well at all. Uh, and here he is again, come out of nowhere, a bit like Barack Obama. No one had ever heard of him a few years before the media was pushing him like he was, you know, tomorrow's uh, solution. And again, a guy of dubious character, a guy of dubious history, some people even doubting where he come from. But again, these people, they either come out of nowhere or they've got a, a very long history that will tell you to ignore what they say, very much what you just said, ignore what they say, judge them only by their actions, future, current and past. I mean, that's all we have to do. Just ignore them. Don't listen to what they say. Let them prove by their actions that they are who they pretend to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Look at the behavior. And that applies to any relationship you've got in your life to forget the words, forget the words, look at the acts of the facts. I'm going to remember that for the rest of the day here, actually, on on, <laughs> on, uh, on TNT, the acts of the facts. Uh, but uh, we talk a lot about free speech here on TNT and, and how you enshrine free speech, how you how you promote free speech and how what free speech really is. Um, and, and obviously in England today, the, the headlines dominated with the UK of the fact that King Charles has cancer. So there aren't a lot of stories doing the rounds that aren't related to that particular distraction. Some may say it's a big distraction. Nobody's going to be talking about excess deaths. There's a debate in Parliament in a few weeks time. No one's going to be talking about anything related to what we would talk about on TNT because the King has cancer. But I've been following this story that I'm just about to bring for, uh, for since it started. Um, and there's been a landmark ruling. It happened yesterday afternoon after I'd come off air at TNT. But this is about free speech and it, it, set, it set a precedent. It's a landmark ruling. And you could argue that this could this ruling could be applied to any issue, not just the issue that I'm about to talk about. So uh, there was a, a professor at the University of Bristol here in the UK. Now, Bristol is one of the top universities. You've got Oxford, Cambridge. Durham and then Bristol. It's where all the elites go. In fact, Bristol and Durham are the two universities that you go to if you can't get into Oxford and Cambridge. So you've got the creme de la creme, so-called. You've got a lot of royals or people connected to royals. Chelsea Davy, I think, went there, one of Prince Harry's former girlfriends. So the University of Bristol is a big deal. It's not some tin pot wannabe institution. Um, and uh, in 2021, a professor, uh, a lecturer in sociology, David Miller, was sacked after allegedly making anti-Zionist comments. Now, he first made some comments in 
2019. Uh, he said that at that point in a lecture that uh, the Zionist movement, Zionist, not anti-Semitic, Zionist, not Jewish, Zionist, that was the word he used. The Zionist movement was one of the five pillars uh, driving Islamophobia. Now, there was an investigation at the time and, and, and nothing came of it. Then he took part in an event in 2021 called Building a Campaign for Free Speech at the university. And he spoke of, about the criticisms that he came under for expressing those previous anti-Zionist views, which he, he stands by. He says, you know, I have views on Palestine and Israel uh, and, and I want to express them. There was a disciplinary then in February 2021. He was sacked in October 2021. So it's quite a swift process. Uh, he took the whole thing to a tribunal, which is a very brave thing to do because you'll take your case and then, of course, your employer will bring anything they can to the table to discredit you. Um, and it went, it's gone on for months and months and months, and I have been following it. But yesterday there was a landmark ruling uh, where the hearing found that Professor David Miller had been unfairly and wrongly dismissed. He had experienced discrimination based on his anti-Zionist beliefs, and it all comes under the UK Equalities Act, which is the act that they're bringing against AstraZeneca in the high court <laughs> as we speak. So he was he was claiming unfair dismissal, breach of contact, contract, discrimination and victimization based on a religion or a belief. And the hearing has upheld it. Um, it the judgment establishes for the very first time ever in the UK, so possibly a precedent for the world, that anti-Zionist beliefs are protected in the workplace. Now, you could put anti-Zionist be beliefs aside. You could say anti-vax. You could say anti-globalist. You could say anti-government. You know, it's free speech. It doesn't matter. You don't have to agree with what he said. It's the fact that he he holds those beliefs and he he says, this is his, his wording, and the conclusion is that his beliefs are that Zionism is an inherently racist, imperialist, and colonial uh, institution. Those beliefs are now protected under the Equality Act 2010 for the first time ever. Um, he says it's been a long fight, but it has enshrined in the Equality Act. The, the, the reason that we've taken this case is to do that. It's a huge vindication for him. He's now going to be seeking maximum compensation. And his lawyer said that he hopes this will help others facing discrimination in the workplace as we speak because of the conflict now in the Middle East, um, that this, this issue is now enshrined and it will give people more protection to speak out. Not against Jewish people, not anti-Semitic views, they're not protected, anti-Zionist. Um, the university says it accepts the judgment, but is very disappointed. Um, weirdly, it says it, it recognizes different opinions in the workplace. Well, it clearly didn't. And it also says, interestingly enough, that uh, Professor Miller didn't, it didn't meet the standards expected of staff. Well, what does that mean? Keep your mouth shut and toe the line? Uh, it, it's a quite a contradictory judgment. You know, we accept the judgment, but still we don't really like him. It's, it's a funny wording, but it's a landmark ruling. It's protected now. Free speech is free speech. You might not agree with Professor Miller. Um, he's not being anti-Semitic, he's not being anti-Jewish. He's talking about the institution, the state of Zionism. The the that 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 that's the notion he was fighting on, and he has won. So it, it does rather uh, set a benchmark for free speech here in the UK and possibly around the world with this one, because obviously he made the comments before the conflict kicked off in the Middle East. Um, I'm sure many people have faced similar issues, but as I say, you could replace it with anti-vax. You could replace it with anti-anti-COVID. You know that could have affected all of us. Uh, you know four years ago and counting. Well, let's hope it does set a precedent. And of all the specific things that could have set that precedent for that to be anti-Zionist, um, you, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I'm quite surprised by that. I'm I'm absolutely delighted by it. 
but uh, quite surprised, I have to say. But, yeah, let's hope that does carry on around the world. Let's hope that people do wake up and that us, all of us, can express our views and uh, be justified, especially when we tend to be right, when history proves that that which we advocated for or claimed tends to be correct. We should always uh, be rewarded for our efforts and certainly shouldn't be shunned by our colleagues at the time for doing it. Uh, God forbid we have to listen to enough nonsense from the left um, it's a shame that they are such bigots and it doesn't flow two ways on that particular street. But this may force a flow of traffic in the other direction, Gemma. Let's hope that is the case. Yeah, I mean, it's it's free speech that's the issue here. As I say, you know, it's not a question of agreeing with his views. And now to be very clear, he's not talking about Jewish people. He's not being anti-Semitic. He's not targeting a whole race of people. He's talking about an institution or what he sees as a cultural thing of Zionism. Um, and, and the Equalities Act has backed that up and the hearing has backed that up. But as I say, that is the precedent of free speech that we talk about on TNT. It's like we've all got different views on this station, but we allow each other the, the respect and the adult behavior and the freedom to express those views, um, even though you might completely disagree and think, Oh, I don't know about that, but free speech, the precedent of free speech is you might not like it, but you have the chance to express it and others to hear it and still, you know, be able to have a job, be able to to go to work without fear of like, you know, am I going to get fired today? It's been a long fight for him uh, and he's won. And I say, as, as I say, you could say anti-Zionist, anti-vax. Look how many people lost their jobs for expressing their opinions on that. Will we see that becoming enshrined as more and more people, as Dr. Jessica Rose is about to outline, realise that the so-called anti-vaxxers had a point. These things weren't set safe. They, they're damaging. You know, that's not anti-vax, that's pro-health. Well, it's a rare win, but I think we'll take it, Jim. So thanks for letting us know. And let's hope that that, uh, that snowball continues to roll down that hill and gather some momentum and some uh, some mass as it does. Uh, Jim Cooper will be back next hour with uh, Sonia Poulton. And, of course, uh, up after the break, we'll be talking to Robbie Barwick of the Australian Citizens Party right here at TNT. TNT's Timothy Shea. The race is essentially now Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley. Ron disappoints us will be pulling his hat from the ring next. And the issue, as always, is why is the Nikki taking so much of the left's money? Well, maybe this will give you a little insight. She credits Hillary Clinton with inspiring her to enter politics, having a attended a women's leadership summit at which Hillary spoke. And Nikki said, and I quote, I then had to decide whether I was a Republican or Democrat. See, Nikki has no core beliefs other than doing whatever her globalist masters, paymasters, want her to say. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT. Anticipate potential delays for the morning commute. In other news, a recent government report on prescription drug pricing points to corporate mouth. Freedom of the press is about your right to know. What are you talking about, man? Look at this It's about your right to be informed. Your right to access all types of information keeps us free as a nation. No, 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 no. Today, there are real threats to press freedom. Residential areas by and your right to know about the world around us. Look. Some threats are obvious, some are easy to miss, but they all put our way of life at risk. We must defend against all of these threats, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Justified putting American troops in harm's way. That's a great question. We must protect our right to know before it's too late. Understand the threats. Protectpressfreedom.org. 
Website. TNTradio.live. Check it out. Today's News Talk Radio. It's the coolest. TNT. Yes, of course, you can't get plastic bags anymore because the government advocated you should get a brown paper bag. And they love brown paper bags down in Canberra. They absolutely love them. They think they're terrific, uh, which reminds me of this story that I'm about to talk about. Uh, Robert Barwick, he is, of course, a longtime executive member of the Australian Citizens Party, formerly known as the Citizens Electoral Council. Now, he's the party's uh, media spokesman, the national research director, editor of the Australian Alert Service, and he's a presenter of his own weekly show, The Citizens Report. Now, I did tell you earlier, I gave you a couple of clues as to what we'll be talking about with uh, Robert Barwick today. And if you haven't already, if you're on blood pressure medication, you may want to switch off now or take some garlic tablets or whatever, because you are going to be absolutely fired up, uh, just like I was after reading uh, his report. Now, what he's going to be doing is pushing uh, the Australian Citizens Party is going to be calling for an anti-corruption watchdog to investigate Scott Morrison for cashing in on this AUKUS plot. And indeed it is. And for more information, Robert Barwick, thanks for joining us. No worries, Dean. Happy to be here. Mate, I just, you blew me away with all that information that you did. Mate, mate start from the top down, tell everybody um, e everything we know, and uh, right. we don't have to tell them how upset they should be. That will just uh, happen. Well, 23 January, Morrison, Scott Morrison makes an announcement that he's departing Parliament and he's going to take up some roles in the private sector. Now, total aside here, which I didn't write in what you've read, it, on that day, he made that announcement. He could have chosen to make his, his resignation immediate. And that meant his by-election would be the same day as the Dunkley by-election down here and save the taxpayers of Australia a million dollars. Instead, he didn't do that. He's, he, he, he's made it contingent in a few weeks, so he can do a final lap of honour. Um, though after last night's uh, Nemesis program on ABC, I'm not sure anyone's going to honour him. But he wanted to he wanted to do a final um, speech in Parliament, and that's that's going to cost us a million dollars because of his ego. Anyway, but on the, so that aside, twenty third of January he makes this announcement that he's moving into the private sector. But what's he moving into? He's taking up. He's already got some political positions with American think tanks, but he's taking up two commercial positions, and one is with a consultancy organization, an American one called American Global Securities. Sorry, strategy, not security, strategy, American global strategy. Now, just think about the optics of that for a second. Here's the Prime Minister of Australia moving to American global strategies. What does that tell you? I mean, for crying out loud. So that's 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 one of his positions, and he'll be he'll be well paid for that. The other position is he's moving to join a venture capital firm called Dyne, D-Y-N-E, or it's an acronym, all capitals. Ventures, and this is a hundred million um, US dollar venture capital firm, which is which is formed to invest in the new technologies that are expected to burst onto the scene as a result of the massive expenditure on AUKUS, which is the Australia United Kingdom United States um, trilateral security partnership, and the nuclear powered submarines that are going to cost the Australian taxpayer three hundred sixty eight billion dollars. This company, Dine Ventures, is there to make money out of that. And they were thrilled to announce that Scott Morrison's joining them. And they announced that he's going to help them do it. And uh, icing on the cake, he's not joining them on his own. He's joining them with Mike Pompeo. 
the former US Secretary of State. And right there is why we think, if you look at the whole picture, Dean, there's grounds, to, there's, there's always a revolving door. It's it's disgusting. Everyone sees it and hates it. But there's, there's too often a revolving door between Canberra and private industry where, where ex-politicians and bureaucrats get to go make money in the private sector involved in what they were doing as in government, right? But this takes it to another level, especially Mike um, Morrison's relationship with Mike Pompeo, because right there we see is where the, the National Anti-Corruption Commission should look and say, was there any kind of corrupt collusion between these two when they're in government setting up AUKUS to, to feather their nest or when they left government? It's absolutely nuts. Now, of course, to have this AUKUS thing, you need a threat. You've, you've got to justify it. Now, that threat is China. Now, what better way to justify a threat than to stir up the people, um, the Chinese themselves? And what better way than to get Mike Pompeo, Liz Truss at the time, and our very own Scott Morrison to go over to Taiwan and rev up the Taiwanese people? And of course, they just did that out of the goodness of, of their own heart, didn't they? Or, or did they? <laughs> well, so this is part of the picture. This is part of the picture. So Scott Morrison did things when he was the prime minister and had full executive power, including secretly negotiating AUKUS. And it was secret. It was it was a secretive decision. It was an extraordinary decision. And it was unconventional in the way he did it. And we think that needs to be looked at. But the NAC Act, the National Anti-Corruption Commission Act, defines corruption, um, Dean. And so... When you make a complaint to them, you've got to see that is your does your complaint fit their definition of corruption? And the things they talk about are basically public officials abusing their office or you know un, or making money out of their office. Now, a public official doesn't just mean the prime minister. For the eighteen months that he's stayed in parliament since being prime minister, he's still been a public official under the act. And what you just referred to is. His activities as a backbencher deserve an enormous amount of scrutiny. Now, there's a there's a register of interests of members of parliament on the parliament's website, and you go there, and what you see if you look at Scott Morrison's register of interests in his period as a backbencher is is incredible burst of activity flying around the world where his flights, business class and first class flights, for him and, and often for his wife, are being are being paid for by other organisations to fly him around the world, all with the same thing to give speeches attacking China and stirring up trouble against China. And the big one was in 2023, um, when just before Anthony Albanese went to Beijing, Scott Morrison went to Taiwan. Now, I know a lot about this Taiwanese issue, this Taiwan issue, and most Australians don't. But what people, the only thing people need to know is this. In 1972, we wanted to, we wanted to open up relations with China. America wanted to open up relations with China. We initiated it. And China said we have one condition, only one. Agree to that condition and everything else, everything else is fair game. One condition. You must accept there's one China and Taiwan is part of China. And we said yes and the Americans said yes. China has not changed. We decided, and especially the Americans decided, to change that knowing that this is China's red line and they can provoke, there's, there's some nutty people in the United States who want a war with China, and they know that's the button to push. And one of them is Mike Pompeo. And so in 2022, he gave a speech 
where he said, now he's out of government in 2022. He gave a speech where he said, if he was president, he would recognize Taiwan as an independent country. That is him saying, as president, I will declare war on China. And, and sorry, Dean, that will be a war of annihilation. That's World War III for the world. Every part of the world would be affected by that. That's a war of annihilation, and we would be annihilated in it. That's, there's no other way to spin that. That's what that guy was declaring in 2022. Now, Scott Morrison is a very um, unscrupulous character, but I'm not going to accuse him of stupidity. I think he's cunning. He has rat cunning. And he's totally in bed with Pompeo. He joined Pompeo's, at Pompeo's request, he joined the American Hudson Institute, which is a pro-war um, institute funded by the big weapons manufacturers. Um, and then he last year did this speech in Taiwan where he didn't say, um, I support Taiwanese independence. What he said was more sophisticated. He said Australia should revisit its one China policy and revise it. That's almost just as provocative, but in a slightly more clever way. But here's the problem. It's not our one China policy. It's China's one China policy. They asked us to agree to it 50 years ago. We, we did, and they've never changed. We're the ones that have changed, and, and, and we're touching the thing that's going to cause a war. Mike Pompeo got $150,000 for that speech that he where he declared that, $150,000 from the Taiwanese government. Liz Truss earlier last year went and did pretty much the same thing, former UK Prime Minister. She got £80,000 for her speech. So we're asking the question, how much did Scott Morrison get paid for his similar speech in Taiwan to help stir the pot to keep the tensions boiling that justifies this massive AUKUS expenditure that he's now going to move into the private sector and make money from? Wait, you literally cannot make this stuff up. We've got to do some news headlines, but we'll be back with Robbie Barwick right after this here at TNT. TNT Radio News. Big news. Yeah! Matt Boyland here with your TNT headlines. Donald Trump has slammed the so-called border bill released by the US Senate, calling it the dumbest bill he's ever seen. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has confirmed he's considering replacing the commander of Ukraine's armed forces, conceding a reset is needed following Kyiv's failed counter-offensive. And Tucker Carlson has ignited a media frenzy after he turned up in Russia, fueling speculation he could be there to interview President Vladimir Putin. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's news talk, TNT Radio. We're back with Robert Barwick. He is of the Australian Citizens Party and the one party that I can see who is doing anything to address high level corruption doesn't get much more corrupt, possibly, possibly, or rather than say corrupt, Robbie, should I ask if if it turns out that everything he has done is within the law, then it is indeed the law that is the problem. Yes. Now, so there's a there's a ministerial statement of standards that um, it actually it came up when he was prime minister because Christopher Pine did something similar. Christopher Pine had been the defence materials minister and then the defence minister, and then he resigned before the 2019 election. You might remember Christopher Pine, um, as the guys on the project like to call him, and he went straight from that job into Ernst and Young as a consultant for the defence sector. And that raised real questions at the time. And so Scott Morrison had to restate 
the, the, the ministerial standards. And the ministerial standards are you are not allowed to go from anything that you were a minister for in the last 18 months of your ministry, you are not allowed to move into the private sector in that area for at least 18 months. Now, that's so weak, Dean, it's not funny. The fact that there's a restriction is because it's obviously a corrupt thing to do, but they provide this 18-month buffer to make it look better. How long did Scott Morrison sit on the back bench after losing? Interestingly enough, most prime ministers, when they lose the job as prime minister, they they quit parliament. He sits on the back bench taking a, a, a taxpayer-funded salary for 18 months. For how long? Sorry, 18 months. That's like 20 months, sorry. it's um. There's an 18-month restriction. He's been there for 20 months before he announces he's, he's departing. In other words, he just saw out the bare minimum, and now he's going to go do the thing that he's now legally allowed to do, but he shouldn't be. Right? This is the thing, he shouldn't be. However, I, there's another point I've got to make. Last year in the Financial Review, Philip Curry wrote an article about the question of what would happen if Scott Morrison took up a job in the private sector to, related to the defence um, things that he'd been working on as Prime Minister. Philip Curry addressed this, and he actually complained that poor old Scott Morrison is a bit poorer than most Prime Ministers because remember when Mark Latham was the opposition leader of the Labor Party, he got John Howard to agree to these changes to the parliamentary pension. And Scott Morrison is the first Prime Minister to lose office who is subjected to those new rules. So he he leaves office with a golden with a um a golden ticket for him and his wife. He can travel free in Australia. He has an office, he has staff, and that's all paid for. But he doesn't get a salary. All he's got is a very fat superannuation package, except he only gets that when he retires, right? So right now he doesn't get a salary. Now, he could get an honest job mowing lawns in the in the Shire, right? Whatever, but no. And and Philip Curry made so Philip Curry's complaint actually acknowledged the corruption in this. Because what he said was, he he said we should go back to paying prime ministers as, as a special case, so that it protects against corruption, so they don't do anything in office to feather their nest when they're in the private sector. Philip Curry used the word corruption to preempt this kind of scenario in that Fin Review article last year, and he's a mate of Morrison's. So now that the scenario is playing out exactly as he said, that word corruption is entirely relevant, Dean. The, the media use it themselves. Well, mate, you said it. I'm feeling it. So where do we go from here? Well, look, I do not – I personally doubt that the National Anti-Corruption Commission will take this up, partly because um, all we can do is point to it and say, look, this stinks to high heaven. Now, what we have specifically – we think that they could conduct an inquiry that zeroes in on the – Morrison Pompeo relationship because that's where the that's where the um the problem lies I suspect but we don't have a smoking gun to present to them as the as the evidence right and um if they don't take it up well that's fine but we wanted to show the public that we think this is so serious we're prepared to make a a referral to the NAC over it um but people have to do people have to look at this thing and recognize the you know what a what a what a stinking um, situation it is, right, and 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 get the smell of corruption there. But also, what I urge Australians to do is look at the big picture here. Look at the fact. Look, these people have all. The, you, you, get, you get all these sanctimonious types, and Morrison likes parading his religion, right? You get all these sanctimonious types, but.
But I tell you what, it sure helps their sanctimony when the money is attached to it. <laughs> it certainly right? does. It, it, yeah. No, it absolutely does. So look at the big picture. This China thing is a total beat up. It would be, war is hell. It would be a total and utter disaster. Don't allow ourselves to be talked into it by people who want to make money out of our annihilation. They won't think they will. But what happens is if you if you if you provoke a war enough to make to keep the weapons money flowing and and making profits, you're putting us on the edge where a, a, a small mistake could actually push us over the edge. Right, Wait. we need to step back from the edge and and pursue another path. It wouldn't take much. Now, Robert Barwick, uh, I've just got to commend you and the Australian Citizens Party because, mate, without you guys, uh, we wouldn't probably even know about this. Uh, you, you're doing all the right things. You're pushing towards it. And I guess at this point, all we can do is kind of spread the word, get the word out there and try and make changes so this can't possibly happen and cost us another 360 or whatever it is, billion dollars in the future. Yep, yep. Don't don't fall for the war propaganda. and Don't. Don't fall for the the like the Murdoch media. They like whipping it up, and even the nine crowd now. The the Australian Strategic Policy Institute in Canberra, which the American government funds, it's a total propaganda outfit. See through the, these Aspie guys are on ABC and Sky News all the time, talking their rubbish. See through it, reject it, and let's look for a better way that the world can organise its relationships that doesn't involve war. Robert Barwick, I love your work, everybody. Of course, you can get on board, citizensparty.org.au, and you can get him on Twitter, Robbie, R-O-B-B-I-E-B-A-R-W-I-C-K. Robbie Barwick, thank you for your time, mate, and we'll talk Thanks, again Dave. soon. Coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to Dr. Jessica Rose right here at TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the end of the week, so how about a little dose of Joe Biden at his best to get you through the weekend. Folks, um, uh, I, uh, if I were smart, I'd say thank you and leave. There's asylum, off asylum officers and over 100 cutting edge inspe inje inspection machines to help detect and stop fentanyl coming out of our southwest border. Greedflation, shrinkflation. You see that article about the Snickers bar? Well, it's going to stop. America, we're tired of being played for suckers. We get thousands. Look, we, we, you know, we now have, we used to, before the recession, before the, the pandemic, the beer brewed here, it is used to make the brew beer in this refinery. Oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. I wonder why it's going Cost 10 bucks to make it. 10 bucks to make it. We'll teach Donald Trump a, a valuable lesson. Don't. Now, normally this would be humorous, funny, you know, but this is a man who's president of the United States and looking for four more years on the job. It's frightening. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern time right here on TNT. While serving in Afghanistan, I was hit by sniper fire. The fighting was so intense, the medevac chopper was barely able to land. In the hospital, I was given a 5% chance to live. It's a good thing math wasn't my best subject. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I talk to kids about dealing with life's struggles. I tell them, with a little help and a lot of work, that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. 
I know that some struggles are big and some are small, but they're all struggles and you have to learn to get through them. With support from DAV, more veterans like me can live their best life. And as a new father, I have one more reason to keep on keeping on. My victory is being there for the next generation. Adam Alexander, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Dean Mackin. Dean Mackin. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. I remember saying when I was on commercial radio here in Australia that what we needed during COVID, as well as doctors and scientists and professors, were statisticians, people who had an inherent understanding of the, uh, the numbers. And when you've got a doctor who is not just a Bachelor of Science in Applied Mathematics, but who also has a Master's in Immunology, as well as other things. That is the ultimate person that you could possibly be talking to when it comes to harm that may or may not have been done and just understanding the thing in its entirety and how it's affected us in reality. Uh, now, Dr. Descaro, she completed a PhD in computational biology, uh, and she also did her first postdoctorate at the Hebrew University of, Jerus of Jerusalem in molecular biology. Dr. Rose is the analyst uh, of VAERS and committed research of safety and underreported severe adverse reactions in regards to the COVID vaccines. Somebody whose latest paper, Determinants of COVID-19 Vaccine-Induced my Myocarditis. If you get a chance to read that, the numbers will just astound you and we'll get a bunch of those numbers and information off Dr. Jessica Rose right now. Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, some of these numbers and I'd like you to run through some of the more shocking ones that may actually just put into perspective what's happened to us over the last three or four years. Well, I mean, the, the paper that you referred to is in the context of myocarditis, which, I mean, who, who knew that word three years ago, right? Now we yeah. all know that word, which is telling in and of itself. Um, but within that paper, what's probably even more important for people to understand is the the, the total number of reports in VAERS is just, it's astronomically high compared to the last 30 years of adverse event reports in VAERS for all products, all vaccines combined. There's, um, it, I mean, it's visually striking when you see, for example, figure 1A and B in that paper, um, and there's no, there's been no offer of an explanation from the owners of the data, uh, which is, it's it's odd. Let's just be polite. Um, typically, when you see a safety signal like this one that's emanating from VARES in the context of myocarditis, there's a procedure that happens. There's a causality assessment that's done or a proportional reporting ratio assessment. This is the purpose of pharmacovigilance databases. Uh, it's, it's a tool designed to detect safety signals that weren't detected in pre-market testing or clinical trials. So they're very important because sometimes, in, in layman's terms, if you don't see something when you're looking in the trials uh, that comes into the actual people when you put the product into like, billions more or millions more people, you have to address that because the demographics are going to be wider, you know, the age groups are going to be wider, et cetera. So the fact that these analyses haven't been being done is also odd 
to be polite. Um, so yeah, it's it's not just myocarditis. I mean, that that is the focus of this recent published paper, but this is going on in in a variety. And when I say variety, I mean in in tens of thousands of different types of adverse events that are being reported by Medra code as purveyors in the context of these COVID-19 injectable products. It's astonishing. I mean, from death, Bell's palsy, other neurological conditions, skin problems, it's all immunologically based. I can say that with confidence because I am an immunologist and I've been looking at this for years. Um, and it's, it's terrible because people are actually suffering and this is what gets lost in these data oftentimes. Every single report in VAERS is actually a human being who's suffering in the context of a product that they were promised was safe. And in a lot of cases, especially like people in Canada and Australia know this very well, you know, the, the, the threat of job loss was, was there over your head if you didn't do this. It's 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 quite astonishing. It's beyond astonishing. Now, there would be several people asking the question. Now, all this information that you've gathered is based on the information as per the adverse you know, events database. Now, the question being, there were big reports that the actual uh, amounts of harm were being underreported. Would they have missed many people uh, with myocarditis possibly? Incredibly so. I mean... There's no definitive underreporting factor known for the in the context of the COVID-19 products. I would assume that it would be um, that that adverse events reported in the context of these products would be reported a little more than historically because people do know a little bit more about theirs now. However, having said that, um, I know very well from hearing people talking in, in hospital settings on the ground, for example, that it was, let's just say it politely, highly discouraged to report adverse events in the context of these products. I've also heard from people who are suffering from adverse events that when they went to their doctor, let's say within 24 hours of one of their, their doses, and even proposed the possibility, which is only common sense, that there might be a connection to the shot, that they were just shut down. I've even talked to people who said that they were turned away and told to leave their GP's office. So these people, the medical professionals, uh, they're the most prevalent reporters of adverse events. It's about 70-something percent as per another paper that was published on this and so if it's their duty to do this, the reporting of the adverse event in, a, in an appropriate way, i.e. filling in as much data as they can, giving as much information as to, you know, the surrounding details of the case, um, then you can imagine that underreporting is going to be severe. And then you have to consider that the people might not be connecting what's happening to them to their, to their shots. Uh, that's a huge thing. There's also, you know, typically it's only about 1% of people who report an adverse event um, when they sustain one. So I think it's probably a little higher than that. Like I said, 
And I've calculated an underreporting factor of 31 in a previous work that I published uh, based on the Pfizer phase three clinical trial serious adverse event reporting rate. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's probably not far off 31 times. So basically what that means is that all those numbers that you see me report in that myocarditis paper, you can probably multiply by 31 safely to get a, a more realistic estimate of how many actual people are suffering per age group. And it's going to vary between age groups. This is one of the very important findings of that paper. Um, primarily, the people who are reporting myocarditis in the context of these COVID shots are very young males. And when I say very young, I mean 15 years old. The preponderance of reporting being done is following dose two in 15-year-old boys. Yeah. So well, I was gonna say that that statistic in itself is very frightening. Males inherently are less likely. I know several males personally who, after they had their second dose, were getting, you know, pains in the arm, pains in the chest. They said, oh, it'll be okay, that'll pass. It's probably indigestion. I, you, this is how guys are. Um, would yeah. you would, would you say that is the case with young males, though? I know adult males are very much like that. With the young males, I would imagine they're probably the same, uh, especially, you know, early teenage males, um, you know, wanting to assert themselves as men, and they just ignore the problem, don't tell their parents, and they've just gone through life undiagnosed now. Yeah, th this is exactly what I think. I, I went through this with uh, uh, the podcaster Viva Fry the other day. That That's my thinking. Um, I actually put myself, I try and put myself in the shoes of the people I'm, I'm yeah. analyzing, for example. And I actually was, you know, uh, very tomboyish when I was 15. I... Uh, so I tried to imagine what a 15-year-old boy would be thinking. I was playing soccer and I was running too fast and then I got a chest pain. And, and I would never, as my 15-year-old self, I can say this with certainty, have ever occurred to me that it was because of some shot that I might have gotten. No way. Yeah. And even if three weeks later, after I got my second one, within 24 hours, if something pretty serious happened to me, like really bad chest pain, I probably still might not have told my mom because maybe I was scared. Maybe I thought it was nothing. Maybe I thought it was gas. Uh, so yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, which would also um, lend itself to reporting problems. And yeah, it's, uh, it, it's astonishing to me how just how many actual myocarditis diagnoses got into VAERS in the first place because I mean it's it's not easy to diagnose or, or to uh, definitively diagnose myocarditis I guess especially in certain people um it the 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 DDX is high I mean it could just be like you said it could be gas yeah. so it's it's very interesting the data is definitive well, I, I wanted to see if you agreed with me on that, and you did, um, which makes the, my next question more astounding. The fact that uh, males are far less likely to go and report an incident like that. Females, far more sensible in general. They have a problem. They generally, you know, confront a doctor as they should. Yes, guys, we, we're we not as smart as the ladies, and we know it. But this report suggests that males 
made up 69% of the numbers, even after what we just spoke of. So that, that, that in itself is something to be very concerned about. Now, the question that immediately occurs to me, and this data, this information probably doesn't come up in the in these reports, is could that be because males uh, and I hope I'm not being sexist here, are probably more likely to be out doing uh, very uh, vigorous sports at that age. Could that be it? Or could it just be that males are being more affected than females across the board for whatever reason? Well, it's a really good question. Um, it's It makes me think of two things. It makes me think of pre-existing conditions because maybe these, these boys weren't athletic. Maybe they had a an obesity problem. So this is something I'd have to double check. Something to think about though. But I tend to think what you're saying is more likely in, in the majority of cases because the thing about it is the reporting rate for myocarditis in 15-year-old boys is about four times higher following dose two. Now, um, the, oh, I'm losing my thought. Um, Wow, I totally lost my thought there. Um, yeah, we, we we were talking about um, the fact that you know males were more likely to sixty nine percent males. Oh yeah, the, the yeah. adrenaline surge thing. Yeah, sorry, it's That's old okay. age. Um, <laughs> seriously, my my memory is terrible. Um, so th there's, I'm not a medical doctor, but I know that a medical doctor, a cardiologist in particular, if they have somebody come to them and they have it, they are given a diagnosis of myocarditis and they're athletic or young boy, play, maybe playing soccer like I, you know, I did when I was young, um, they would say lay off the exercise for, uh, a, you know, a definitive number of days or amount of time. And the reason for this is because if you have fibrotic scarring, if you have some kind of damage or remaining inflammation of the myocardium of your heart and you have an adrenaline surge, which happens when you exercise, it also happens when you sleep. Think about that. How many people do we know who died in their sleep? Um, you could have a cardiac arrest. And if you don't get medical attention pretty fast, that could lead to death, which we also know is a thing. Um, so it's, it, it, you know, the... The likelihood, I mean, th these are just um, leaves in the wind, but the likelihood that an adrenaline surge component was involved here, let's just say, even if, if a young boy was told lay off the exercise, if I was one, I probably wouldn't listen unless my mom forced me to stay inside. <laughs> you know what, you, you already know what I'm saying. It's yeah. it's definitely a factor. Um and even grown-up men, I mean, who who are given a doctor's orders not to push it too hard. If if you're a runner, like I, I'm, I'm a bit of a runner, and and somebody tells me not to run, I'm I'm gonna run anyway. It's it's just yes. kind of a thing. <laughs> so it, nobody wants to admit that they're mortal. Nobody wants to admit that you know something's wrong. And sometimes we push ourselves too hard as young people and older people. Um, and, and in this case, that might be really not a good thing to do. Um, um, Jessica, 20 minutes, not nearly enough. As you were talking, I've written down 
about 15 or 17 questions that I would have loved to have asked you. And hopefully, if you've got some time in the next few weeks, we can get, get you back on. I would love to ask you those questions. They're important questions, um, especially when they relate to young people. Um, and I think a lot of people would be very concerned. Dr. Jessica Rose, thank you so much for your time. We've run out here at TNT. Uh, if we could talk again in the next few weeks, that would be terrific. Everybody, get onto Twitter. She's on there. Uh, look her up, Dr. Jessica Rose. And of course, we've got Sonia Fulton coming up after the break here at TNT. I'll catch you all tomorrow. Bye.